0: And every time, disturbed, the sound of silence starts going through my head.
1: <laughs> 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 yeah, Londoner mentioned the visualization bars, too. Man, hey, we're on point today. Hey. Yeah. See? So maybe it's not a latency issue, it's something else, and that makes me wonder if it has something to do with the, the mint upgrade.
2: Also I know is you seem clear on my
0: end, so... Yeah, see there. Take that, Joe. I'm just kidding. Uh, we must just live too close to each other or something.
1: Mint community for all users of Linux. This is episode 352.5. Livestream information is at minkcast.org slash livestream. We're in the Mintcast channel in IRC at irc.spotchat.org. If you see something that you'd like to hear about, tell us. Send us email at mincast at Join us live on YouTube. Post at the Mintcast Subreddit. Chat with us on Telegram, Discord, Facebook, or post directly at Minkcast.org. This is Leo. And with me today is Joe. Hello, hello. Tony Hughes.
3: Hi, guys. I made it. Despite me back.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And Josh Hawk. Hey, guys. We're recording on Sunday, January 10th. First up, in our internet section, we talk about the first 48 hours with Linux Mint 20.1. And finally, the feedback, all the feedback, and a couple of suggestions. So we'll travel down to Linux Internet's. I don't know why I'm on top of these things all the time. Uh, it turns out most of the time I'm the least interesting guy in the in the conversation. But okay, fine, 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 fine. Uh, I did do this whole thing, by the way, is about Linux Mint and upgrading to 20.1. I know I'm on Cinnamon, uh, but I know we kind of have a mix going on. But I did the uh, upgrade to 20.1 yesterday. So I've been, on, uh, I've been on 20.1 for about 24 hours now. And I only found one real issue with it, and that was after I logged in, I noticed my mouse was a little choppy. Um, And it wasn't really choppy. It was, you know, running at 60 frames per second. But when you're on a 144 hertz monitor, it looks choppy. It's not, uh, there's some smoothness that's missing there. Um, And that was pretty noticeable for me. So first thing I did, hop into displays and see what the uh, refresh rate was at. It was set to 60. Well, that ain't right. Uh, so I, you know, opened it up, dropped it down, went to 144 hertz, applied it, and it's good to go, right? That that was really all that, that needed to happen there and everything is smooth as butter again. Um, but I'm running into another issue and I don't know if I can blame this on Linux Mint 20.1 or not. OBS is not transferring at its normal 6400 kilobits per second. Uh, so if you're watching live, it's a bit choppy. I think the audio is getting through just fine, which is awesome. I'm glad that that's working because that's really the show. But yeah, the, the video is choppy. It's, it freezes a little bit. And um, yeah, eventually, uh, uh, eventually you get some video. But yeah, the audio stream seems to be working okay. and that's the important part. But yeah, I don't know if that's a Linux Mint thing or not. But outside of that, I, I keep meaning to get onto hypnotics and try it out and see what's going on and, you know, just put a TV station on in the background. But um, yeah, man, uh, just as with my wanderings, I've just not had enough time to, to dive into this. So I know I'll have more thoughts moving forward. But as of right now, yeah, not quite yet. I don't have a whole lot of opinion. So Joe, tell me how it, uh, how it all happened for you. Well, um, this kind of happened.
0: Yesterday when I was talking to you guys, so I upgraded my uh, main laptop, the GE72-6QD. Um, it has the NVIDIA GTX 960M hybrid graphics. I have to say, the update was very smooth using the update manager. No problems at all. Much agreed. I was really pleasantly surprised at Reboot. It was back up and running in just seconds. And I will mention that I am on kernel 5.4. So, yeah, just super quick seconds to Reboot and get everything back up and running. Um, The hybrid graphics worked perfectly on Reboot. I did not need to fall back to the Intel drivers to get things running. It just worked. Um, everything else kind of seemed like a very incremental update. And nothing really stood out to me as new or innovative, um, except for that uh, hypnotics. And I me and Tony were discussing it before the show about whether or not i I could watch uh, BBC One from there. And uh, looking at it, I, I can see BBC Scotland. Which has the BBC One logo, so I'm I'm wondering if that will play um, Doctor Who when Doctor Who plays over there. So uh, I'm going to have to keep an eye out when the new season starts up.
1: I don't see why it wouldn't. It's it's just a it's just the broadcast of that TV station, isn't it?
0: Yeah, but yeah. um, well, we were talking. There are limitations on being able to access uh, BBC um, regionally but evidently BBC Scotland doesn't have that issue
3: ah if it's streaming it through BBC iPlayer uh, when um, there is an IP block for region you know if you if you're not in the UK you will get blocked if your IP address is a foreign address yeah. So, a, so uh, a quick VPN swap, and that should take care of you? Is that what you're saying? That's what we were talking oh. about earlier, on whether they block a VPN or not. Got but we
0: okay. also needed a couple of other things to be able to log into to BBC iPlayer in order to be able to view things that way. Now, this is, um, I, I assume, rebroadcast live TV, and it does allow me to pause and cache like five minutes worth of it. Uh, well, it's still going, so a bit more than that. I'm just wondering if this is a live broadcast of BBC One through BBC Scotland that is going to allow me to watch the show that I want to watch, which would be interesting.
3: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. The only thing is that BBC One Scotland shows things at different times to the main BBC channel. Well, then that's really all I got. I mean,
0: like I said, it it seems like a very incremental upgrade, which is what it's supposed to be, so... Um, not a whole lot new to talk about with it, other than the fact that the update worked fine, and I didn't have to jump through any hoops to get my graphics working
1: so did did you happen to do the uh user merge thing at the end of all that the what the user merge so as I mentioned before it's the it's the sim linking of some of those directories so if you look in the how to upgrade Linux mint whatever uh at the bottom, it's apt install user merge. Did you do that portion? No, I didn't ah so, um, yeah, I didn't have any issues with that. Uh, I didn't have any issues with the upgrade at all. Uh, it was very, very easy. And then the user merge thing, uh, I did that after the initial reboot, Rebooted again. And, yeah, still everything is good to go. I don't no, I don't see any issues what, with it. What exactly does that impact? I mean, as far as, um, you know, running software, you know, stuff in the background, nothing. All it really does is it moves everything from bin into user bin and then symlinks bin to user bin. That's really all it does. Um, But this is so that uh, it's mostly a Linux thing, but they just want to consolidate everything into one directory instead of having stuff sprayed across, you know, three, four, Mm. five different directories. Okay.
0: I'll have to do that
1: then. Might as well. Uh, Like I said, Ubuntu does it. Uh, As I mentioned in the news, Ubuntu does it. uh, And uh, I think Linux Mint is catching up now. And this is them requesting you to catch up. Okay. I
3: suppose it's me now. I suppose. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so i upgraded my uh, dell e7440 laptop which uh, is the main portable machine i use uh, it's got 128 gig ssd and 16 giga ram it's not running any uh, fancy graphics just runs an intel chipset for graphics and it's been on mint 20 since uh, it was released last year So uh, when I did the upgrade after the uh, pre-show chat last night, about nine o'clock, I I went into the update manager and it took forever to download the uh, software. Uh, So the world and his wife must have been uh, using the same uh, mirror that I was using (laughs) because my internet, normally it should have gone in about two minutes and started the install, but it took about 15 minutes for all the software to download. Well, once it was downloaded, the install and reboot went dead smooth, no problem. Uh, I haven't uh, done that user merge at all, but it doesn't seem to be creating any issues at the moment. But I'll go back and have a look at that. Yeah. But I did have a uh, play with Hypnotics and uh, hunted roundabout. 60, 60 TV channels to see whether I could find anything worth watching. But they all seem to be uh, foreign language stuff or news channels. There's one or two gaming games channel uh, channels, you know, where they they have uh, game shows and things like that and a couple of old movie channels. But most of it is uh, just rehash of uh, local news, news stations and stuff like that. A
0: lot of kids' channels.
3: Yeah, quite a few kids' channels and stuff. But it'd be interesting to know if other people in other regions uh, can access uh, some of the channels, depending on where they're coming from.
1: Yeah, I guess uh, if it's like the BBC and they do the IP block, then yeah. you would need a VPN for some of that stuff. But other than that, I mean,
3: yeah. And unless all I can think of is the uh, the host uh, IPTV software that they've put within Hypnotics for this to them provide the service, unless that's capturing the TV from and then restreaming. Yeah, I I suppose there wouldn't be a block.
1: I suppose pretty much every channel on there is restreaming it, so uh, you may not run into any of that IP block stuff at all. Because you know, you were mentioning the BBC iPlayer that goes directly to the BBC, uh, whereas, Yeah. yeah, I really do think these channels are restreaming so. You you may not run into any of that at all.
3: Yeah. <laughs> But apart from that, everything seems to be working for You know, the computer booted up fine and worked fine afterwards. So, yeah, it's a very, like Joe's already said, it's a very incremental uh, upgrade, which given that it's based on the uh, Ubuntu long-term support, that's what we'd expect anyway. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, you don't really see anything under the hood as far as the Ubuntu packages go change here. It's just cinnamon and mate and xfce and the mint stuff on top of that that uh that you see upgrades to so yeah really easy upgrade i I really enjoyed it but to to um, uh just something to note uh, i remembered um you were talking about how everybody was hitting those mirrors yeah that's the big reason why uh clem will put out a iso and then not announce it for a week or you know two three four days something like that because he's letting all of the mirrors get caught up get all the new packages, host the ISOs, get everything in place before he makes that announcement because there are already people. The moment, you'll see it on the community forum, the moment that ISO is ready, um, you know, and Londoner did this for us. Is like, here, it's ready. Go get it. And so, yeah, you can get it days before he announces it. Um, But yeah, just uh, as long as you're using the Linux Mint main repository, you're okay. But once you stray from that, it could be touchy for the next couple of days while everybody gets caught up but anyway just something interesting to note
2: so over to you Josh i've been using 20.1 for since the beta came out on my macbook pro and it's been good i haven't had any issues at all and uh, i updated it last night and it seems to have got all the packages that i got in the upgrade from 20 to 20.1 so it's pretty much up to snuff with um regular 20.1 now so I don't need to do anything on that end. I didn't do the user merge uh, thing on either of these, even though I I, I don't know is it built into twenty one? If you install it from the beta, Or
0: do you no, still you have, have to, to do? Yeah, user merge. No, so you still yeah. No, I, I just did it a second ago. It did it, not cause any disruptions or okay. anything, and it just no. But uh, so it,
1: it, if you install twenty one from the ISO, you're already that that's already installed. User merge okay. is already handled for you, so I don't have to if worry about on
2: that one. All right.
1: Yeah, you you already have it. Uh, but if you're coming, if you're upgrading from twenty two twenty dot 20.1, then yes, you will have to do the user merge thing. Right. Okay. Well, yeah, I, that's I say what I was have wondering. to. It's, it's optional. You still don't have right. to do it. But yeah, it's, uh, you're following in the footsteps to it, of Ubuntu you to at that point. Right. Correct.
2: So, yeah, and I didn't get the twenty um, dot one update or upgrade option until last night at like, I don't know, it was like 2.30 in the morning. And I literally, I kept refreshing um, the Mint updater and nothing, nothing, nothing. So then I decided I'm going to go in the terminal. I did um, apt update and it popped up the the new version of the um, uh, Mint updater and everything came up and I installed that. And then after I did that, it um, gave me the option to uh, upgrade to 20.1. I don't know what was holding me back,
1: but something
2: was weird there.
1: You know, I wonder if it was a mirror thing. If uh, Do you know which mirrors you're using for Mint? Um, I usually use the, um, colleges around me. So I think MIT
2: is one of the faster ones for me. So I usually use that one for the mint repositories.
1: I, I think bet that's you one. anything. It was just that, um, when you did that last update, you just got lucky and MIT had, had actually gotten the packages in right. there at that time. Yeah.
2: Now for you guys, does it reset your, um, repositories once you do the upgrade? Cause it did that for me and I had to go in and reset to the ones I wanted. I didn't even check. What do you what do you mean by that? Yeah, I haven't checked. You know how it gives you the prompt when you first install Mint and it says, do you want to get faster repositories? Um, so your oh, updates right. don't get yeah, to change your right. mirror. Mine mine reverted back to the default ones that Mint always, you know, starts with. So I had to go back in and, and change them.
1: Oh, I'll have to go check. I didn't
2: uh I didn't even notice. If you if you go to the update manager and it doesn't give you the blue prompt, you know, that right. comes up then it probably you're probably fine but I got that prompt again and I had to go and change it.
1: Interesting. No, I, I I don't know but I didn't um immediately head back into the update manager. So I'll check after this and then we'll uh we'll add this to the next show just kind of have an ongoing uh how is 20.1 working for you?
2: Well, other than that, it was smooth. The install was just smooth. <laughs> There's nothing else to say about it. Uh, my yep. Nvidia drivers worked and I had no problems there. Um yeah. So Which kernel are you on? I'm on the 5.4. I don't okay. do the, on the on any of my NVIDIA um, uh, computers or whatever, I don't upgrade.
0: Yeah, with the NVIDIA, I was wondering if you were running 5.8, because I was thinking about doing that upgrade and seeing if it worked.
2: Yeah, no, it's only necessary for me on the Intel, because then you get the newer um, drivers. Okay. I have done it before, and I have never had any issues. I've upgraded the the kernel, but I, I just got to the point where I'm like, why am I doing this? I don't need the new kernel. I might as well just stick on the LTS.
0: Well, in the past, I am I, I remember giving someone some advice. Um, it, we were on kernel 5.0 at the time. I think everybody, like the system itself was still at like 4.8 or something. But we, I had upgraded to 5.0 and someone else had upgraded to like 5.3 and they were having major issues with their nvidia drivers Mm. and um it was because that was about the time that hardware acceleration was come becoming involved and there were issues with the nvidia drivers and hardware acceleration okay so the advice at the time was yeah uh, don't go past 5.0 until they get some things ironed out
2: yeah i have had it i have tried in the past but i never had any issues not nothing like that i don't know when it was exactly but I just decided not to because there's no point for me.
1: Yeah, I think uh, um, a lot of times it's just it's really for hardware enablement. If you have something that the newer kernel fixes, then you might want to jump on that new right. kernel. But otherwise, there's no reason to do so. Uh, it's just, you know, a bigger, more refactored kernel with uh, some changes in it that may... If they don't affect you, no no reason to, to actually upgrade. Uh, but I was in the boat. Uh, I am still in the boat where... Uh 5.8 is a pretty decent sweet spot cuz there were for my video card uh 5.4 enabled it, 5.5 uh increased the performance of it and 5.7 did the same. So right. now that I'm on uh now that Linux Mint offers me the Ubuntu 5.8 kernel, uh being on that is actually pretty important for me especially if I want to play games or you know use the video card in any uh more way than just rendering the desktop. It's important that I'm on a newer kernel. So Honestly I'm really waiting for uh you know Linux Mint 21 so we can have kernel 6 or whatever it's going to be by that time but yeah uh, for right now I got I got to live on the edge a little bit Yeah the
2: update was was good and I did get to try hypnotics a little bit um on my MacBook I tried it actually on my desktop as well and it's it's pretty cool I mean there's a lot of stations on there I can get most of the channels that I could get on an antenna um at my apartment on on there and more news stations definitely than i could even get um with my antenna even if i had three antennas i couldn't get the amount of news stations <laughs> so that's nice to have just in case and it even has the uh the weather channel which for my areas is, is pretty good i mean it has a lot of shows on now it doesn't do the weather except for every i think it's like every eight minutes or something like that it'll do like a little weather clip but that's nice to have to just be able to you know Have on if you want and just have the weather cycling, especially for my job with the snow plowing. It's, you know, it might be nice to just have that cycling on a side and I can see, just glance over and see the weather um, report. Because sometimes I know they have a lot of apps that you can look at the weather, but sometimes when someone's actually telling you the weather, it gives a little more information than just looking at it on an app. Like, oh, it's going to snow. Okay, so when, how, why, you know.
0: Uh It's nice to be able to keep an ear on it while, you know, doing other things.
2: Right. That's that's what I mean. Yep. Yeah, I didn't try any of the foreign channels. I didn't look into that because I didn't really know. I, I don't really know what to look for. So <laughs> I didn't look. I just looked at all the anything that was in the U.S. I just tried out. And um, yeah, I didn't notice any restrictions. But yet again, I wasn't looking outside of the U.S. So I wouldn't find out about that. Um, yeah, so and also the web apps. Um, that application is now at um, version 1.1. And it's really come around since they uh released the beta of it, and it's it's work it works really nice to just make any website be just almost like a native window in your uh in your os
0: I know Leo and I have been actually using that web apps for a while now. Right. because I got the recommendation. Yeah, I've been using it as well. Yeah, yeah, I, I didn't I need the... no beta
1: for this. This was a fantastic change. I love it so much.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. It,
1: it really is a useful tool.
2: Right. And I, I was having a couple issues with it where it wouldn't um, let me select Chrome and all that, but now all those issues are, are done with and I can select any web browser I have installed and I can use it. The only thing I haven't seen yet is where you can enable extensions without having to... Open up the um, the user interface on it in on the website because uh, I the need the say-
1: dark reader. Oh, I see. Ah, I see. Right, right, right. And that that bugs me
2: a lot when I can't get the dark reader to work on the web apps. Now the only way I found out is if you enable the border, turn on the extension that you want, and then disable the border, and then it'll be on forever. And you can just keep opening that window up and closing it, and it'll just enable that. But until you ah, do that. It doesn't. You can't get the um, extensions to work.
1: Yeah, for unless me, unless I'm it, doing something wrong. Yeah, for me, the um, no, I don't think you're doing anything wrong. I think uh, it it really is just the browser. If you're turning on the browser's dark mode in its in in the browser's settings, yeah, it's it's going to cause some issues. the The way right. that I think Web App Manager works the best is if you access websites that have uh, dark mode toggles within the web app itself. So, like, take uh, Plex for instance; it's dark mode all the time. Right. So there's there's no setting you have to change, and for next cloud, you can go into the next cloud settings within that web app and change the uh, change yeah. it to dark mode at that point. Yep. So I think, yeah. I mean, if you're using it as a you know, this is a quick way for me to get to like I don't know mintcast.org. Yeah. No, it's it's that's gonna be a, a light right, mode I use for it, you. Right. I use time. it for a lot of the forums, so that's why I, I like
2: to keep it dark because they're like blindingly white, especially yeah, like Reddit is like <laughs> ridiculous.
3: Just, just as a point of interest, uh, I don't know how I got it working. I can't remember how we installed it, but you can get it working on nineteen point three as well. Oh right, so yeah, I Because I uh, yeah. was it a f- uh, snap or a flat pack? I can't remember. Now that
1: was that worked for uh, what is it? The the Cindy Filey one. What do you call that? I can em- warpinator. <laughs> that, yeah. uh, yes, warpinator no, no, is did, in FlatHub, but uh, I just did look. Web app manager is not in FlatHub. I suppose yeah, it I think may it's a be that you installed. Yeah, uh, it's a dev. Yeah, is for it? now it right. is. I, I, c-
3: I couldn't remember how I'd installed yeah. it. <laughs> I hope it'll be
1: a, a flat pack. That, as well as Hypnotics. that way, you know, uh, a lot of the work that the Mint team has been doing can be spread out across all the other Linux distributions as well.
3: But it works great in nineteen point three. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it worked good. I, I had the
2: beta from the beginning, but I just had issues with different web browsers. Like I could right. use the one, um, Firefox, which is the one that's installed. But when I installed other browsers, it wouldn't let me select them, um, at least on my desktop. On my laptop, it would work, but on my desktop, it wouldn't. I, I filed a bug report and all that, and like I said, since then, now that we're on 1.1, it's, all those issues are gone.
1: Yeah, well, feel good about that bug report because uh, they may have used that to fix all this up. So, thanks for that. Um so yeah, anyway, that's that's about it for
2: 20.1. I mean, it
1: was very smooth
2: and um it's very enjoyable with the uh, new apps that they got.
1: Yep, definitely. I'm still enjoying my time on Cinnamon.
3: Any final thoughts? No. Nope. No, it just seems uh, a normal point 1 release. That's a good thing. Smooth I think is good.
1: uh yeah, I think over the next couple of weeks between now and the next show we'll have way more experience with it. This uh when it came out, it was, I think what, we had 24 hours tops with it. But, um, yeah, we'll have, uh, I imagine we'll have more comments on it that will stick in the wanderings of the next show um, when we come around to it. Oh, and the easy
2: mute for the mic is really nice. You don't have to put in a custom command. Ooh.
3: Oh, you're in cinnamon, are Yeah. because <laughs> yeah. yeah, they've had that in Marte for ages. Yeah. I'm using it on 19.3. I can't use Marte.
2: <laughs> I've tried it. I just can't get used to
1: it. Yeah. <laughs> no more custom command. You don't need a custom command. You can still do it if you want. Oh, yeah. I had Um, to do a custom command beforehand. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, then uh, that'll do it for our Linux innards. We'll come back around talk about more Cinnamon 20 or well, Linux Mint 20.1 in the coming episodes. But for now, vibrations from the ether. I'm gonna hand these out like candy, like I'm uh, throwing candy off a parade Go float.
3: Go I'll take this first <laughs> all one. Right, take uh,
1: take care Go
3: of Glenn. On. Yeah. So, first one's from uh, Glenn Thompson. Great podcast, guys. Keep it up. I've been a Linux user exclusively for over eight years now. Started with dual booting, but quickly dived all in with Mint. Tried many of the top hundred distros over the years, and now have the luxury of two laptops. Mint LMDE on one and Solus KDE on the other. But my Utopian distro is still Mint KDE. Do you chance think we'll ever likely to see it again? No. Ooh, what?
1: No, I'm not sure
3: we will. Yeah, <laughs> unfortunately. But
1: uh, if, if Moss were here, he'd be able to correct me because I'm probably wrong. But isn't and os the closest we're going to get it used to be based on mint but i think now they're more based on ubuntu but yeah, they they're still based have on, um yeah. uh kde yeah.
2: or uh yeah the the kde distro <laughs> yeah, so, Can't yeah so remember
1: so yeah uh, i think you can just get a stock experience in that but um you know they, they take a different route yeah, they than they
2: use both. all the mint
1: tools yeah well I, I think they used to i think they may have even taken those out now too but no they still uh, have them oh good cuz i so, use it once in a while so, Glenn, that might be your escape hatch. Can't you just install KDE? Well, you can. Whether or not it works well is, you know, not the Mint team's problem. And because of that, it's probably not recommended.
3: Yeah. So, anyway, Glenn goes on to say, and his wish has come true, hopefully this makes it into a future Woo-woo! podcast. Many thanks, you, Glenn. Glenn. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to talk more about Plasma, though. Um,
1: because like you, Glenn, I love me some plasma. If cinnamon were to ever go away, that's 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 where I would live. Because uh, I do have a couple of machines living on plasma right now, and ah, uh, I love it so much.
3: Yeah, it was a shame that they did away with the
1: KDE. Yeah, drop Xfce, your mate, man. Okay, well, not not for you, Tony. Drop drop <laughs>
2: drop Xfce, Xfce definitely. <laughs> Just KDE. And then replace it with Xfce, with, with
3: plasma. Yeah. Well, no, I think I think there's a case for all all the current three main ones, but just adding plasma back yeah, in. Yeah, I think they ran out of
1: time. I think that was the biggest reason why they dropped plasma yeah. in the do, first place. Do you place. really need both
3: Xfce and Mate? I mean. I don't know. I feel like you could make that argument. Um, the arguments are getting less yeah. because Mate and Xfce are kind of closing up as far as uh, resource uses go. Yeah, they really are. They really are. I
1: think Cinnamon's different enough from uh, from Mate and Xfce that that you could make that argument. But yeah, Mate, Mate and Xfce are getting yeah. Tony's but Mate right. is even less than Xfce now. What do you mean? The the oh, resource oh you mean uses. resource usage? Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. It'll boot up at less. I yep. Um, And it's just so snappy. I like it so much. Anyway, next up, Hank Barta. I think I'm going
0: to take this one. Go for it. Because the ones after this turn into novellas. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, Leo et al. This is Hank Barta. Uh, had I not been such a la- lazy bastard, I would have provided these in my first email. I did touch this last week. My Pi4 server running Ubuntu 64 bit refused to boot following a power outage. Running FSCK on the file systems did not resolve this, so I installed the latest RPi OS, knowing it was less likely to need excessive maintenance. One of the first things I did was to reinstall mkdocs and get this set up. My setup consists of two files, a systemd service file and a bash script. The service file includes the commands needed to install and start this up. Disclaimer, this is a small private project, so I have not bothered with a lot of commentary, usage notes, or other things that would be expected of a proper open source project. I just hacked at it until it worked, and then moved on. In my first email, I also forgot to mention that mkdocs provides some sort of integration with GitHub. I did not investigate this because my notes are private and not suitable for the internet, but that may be of interest to others. I don't know if this GitHub integration can be made to work with Gitya, but they're both open source, so the answer to that question is, how much effort would it take? As a software developer, clients would often ask me, can you do blank? I would point out that I can probably do anything they can think of. The question they should ask is, how much time and money would it take to do? Merry Christmas, happy holidays, have a better new year. Okay, here um, I'm going to say you're extremely lucky with your Pi 4, uh, being able to put a different operating system on it. I had a friend recently have a power surge happen to their Pi 4, and I guess it really messed up the built-in RAM, and they have not been able to get it to properly boot up at all. They can get some text to come across the screen, but it's a jumbled mess and nothing after that. But it does sound like a cool project, and yeah, if you can post it somewhere, even if it's not, you know, public
3: ready yet, that's uh, what you just said gives you a good reason to put a surge protector on your uh, all your IT equipment, not just five. Your- yep,
1: yep, yep. Always a good idea. I think the, the 12 bucks you spend on a on a cheap surge protector may save you 100 bucks in the, down the road.
0: <laughs> Could
3: save you a lot more as yeah. well.
0: If you're in a household that has uh, shoddy power, like it, it power drops, uh um, power spikes, anything like that, uh, UPS will fix m- most of those issues. True.
1: And he does mention that uh, MKDocs provides integration with GitHub um, and not sure if it would work with GitT. You know, my thought is that it will work with GitT just fine because I think both of those on the front end are just Git. And, you know, as long as it's just regular Git um, commands and, and just, yeah, if it's just regular Git commands, I don't see any reason why it wouldn't work it right now with Git t out of the box so yeah that's that's something really cool that i want to look into because uh yeah like as i mentioned uh i'll be setting up Git t with that Docker compose script
0: yeah and I, I really like that answer down at the bottom can you do this yes yes i can how much time and money are you willing to dedicate to it mm-hmm.
1: yeah that, that's the <laughs> biggest thing i mean uh, when someone asks uh you know can you do this it's like yeah uh two hundred dollars an hour uh just let me know how, how long you want <laughs> me to work on it <laughs> 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 all right next up uh randall ruth uh does anybody want to take this one well don't everybody jump in there at once
0: <laughs> i think it's josh's turn
1: hey mm. <laughs> i'll take it i'll take it <laughs> <This isn't laughs>
0: even the really long one
1: so randall writes uh was just listening to mintcast 349.5 and it reminded me of an item on my wish list Love Pies and have several of them running servers, and I would like to build another solution using one. Background. If you use a public Wi-Fi hotspot, you never know what virus you're going to catch. So the solution is, I need a firewall router. Problem. Many public hotspots need to be logged into via web page. Not every Wi-Fi device has a browser interface. Solution. Ensure the router has a browser interface. Problem. Public hotspots limit how many times one of their uh, pass keys can be used. Solution. Router has an app. Ah, so what he's looking to do is uh, essentially to build a little Raspberry Pi that is a proxy behind a, uh, you know, well, yeah, be a router proxy kind of situation so that he can browse uh, a little safer.
0: Uh, I, I should have taken this one, too, because I've actually done projects on this and written up a couple of papers about uh-huh.
1: it. So he, he does say, though, that uh, he built a little uh, Pi router on a 3B Plus uh, that he carries around with you that he can use at hotels or McDonald's. He says it has an external Wi-Fi dongle to be used to connect to the public hotspot. Use the onboard Wi-Fi as the local network. Ah, there you go. Get, that's, that's your second router interface. Have H-O-S-T-A-P, HOSTAP, I think. So I can connect directly to the Pi. And I have a full GUI OS install with VNC so I can easily connect to the public hotspot and start a browser. Uh, once this is done, any other devices that can connect to the Pi router will uh, will get connectivity. The SSID of the router never changes, so once a device has connected to the router, it easily connects again.
0: I'm going to interrupt right there and put in—that that that is a great solution, a great way to do it. But um, what I found that really works is um, a, a portable Wi-Fi router. Uh, TP-Link makes several that are really good for it. Um, and you put, uh, what, OpenWRT on there, SSH into it. Connected to the Wi-Fi. Well, actually you can use the web interface to connect it to the Wi-Fi and then what you do is you um, Forward port 80 from the router back to your laptop or device and then you use that to access the web page the login web page and once it's logged in all your devices can now connect to your router and go through there. And so, you can even so, set up a VPN to automatically be on
1: that router. Now, that the, the extra VPN step is awesome. So, the, so what you're getting at is you can forward a web page to your laptop that accepts web requests that also sends out web requests. So th- this is doing the captive portal thing, right?
0: I think this is what he's using Hostap for, but uh, what this all you're doing is forwarding port 80 from your router to your laptop. So all the traffic is technically on the router. So the it looks like the router is accessing the um, login page.
1: So you see what I'm saying? Right. So and this is the captive portal thing, right? So when McDonald's gives you a receipt and it says yeah. this is the password, so you
0: can access the captive portal. Ah, interesting. Okay. And then from there you can disconnect that um that port forwarding. Yeah. And then um just access the internet with all of your devices through that
1: interesting. router. Interesting. Okay. Well that's cool. Uh so he continues on though that uh this will uh all work fine or this was all working fine until I got Xfinity and a Roku. I was able to connect my Roku to my router and had access to all the Roku apps. The exception was my Xfinity app. Uh and Xfinity has Verizon, right? Is that, am I thinking right? Or is that Comcast? That might be Comcast now that I think about it. They changed their name. Anyway, it requires Verizon. Oh, is it? Okay, good, good. It requires that my Roku be used on my home network. That makes sense, though, because you've got to have the IP address link there. But the solution is uh, speaking of VPN, uh, I need to have my Pi router connect to my home VPN. I set up a VPN many years ago on a Pi 1. I have been using it to connect my smartphone and laptop to my home network so I can check on my servers while I'm away from home. It would be. Uh, instructive to discuss the pieces that would go into a router like this and the order they are installed and configured. So uh, maybe this will be a future show to set all this up and make a portable thing. But uh, I think right we now, we had a
0: show on it doing doing this exact thing though. Yeah, yeah Um discussing this exact thing and how oh. to set it up, and that was um, not this last year's holiday season. But, or not the 2020, but at 2019, during the holiday season, I did one on uh, travel
1: routing. Oh, right. You did. That's right. Huh. So we'll have to go back and look and see what that covers and cover any other bits that were left out. That'd be interesting. Cool. Well, anyway, that's how I set up my router, uh, my VPN. Uh, That's exactly how I do that. Uh, Everything I need to touch from here uh, when I'm away, which is pretty much never anymore. Um. yeah, I used that VPN to do it. Actually, I haven't even checked on that VPN in months. It probably is not even up right now. <laughs> anyway, next up, Phil. G'day from Australia, fellas. Oh, Tony, are you going to take this one? Yeah, Go I'll for take it. it. But you got to say g'day now.
3: <laughs> g'day from Australia, fellas. Uh, love your podcast. You have been uh, an avid and have been an avid listener since discovering you in early 2020. Oh, Ooh. so one of our we new almost, We almost got a whole year Welcome. out of you, Phil. Awesome. Yay! Uh, I found the discussion in Linux in its of Kevin uh, Mitnick's book and the subject matter fa- fascinating. Joe made mention of obscure laws on the... and. And this reminded me of the talk by Prof. James June, I recently discovered on YouTube. The talk lecture was about the Fifth Amendment, and it doesn't, it, obviously, it doesn't apply to him in Australia, of course, uh, where he makes reference to these obscure laws and how they can be used against you. The UO, URL uh, and the timestamp he, he put into the email, and that's in the show notes. So, love your work, and thanks for the time and effort you all put into the podcast. Happy New year. Phil. He
1: has found one of the best videos ever of anybody that might be legally culpable for anything. This guy has the advice for you. And I mean, to distill the whole five hours down into just a little bit, it's don't talk to the cops, not without a lawyer. the end, right? like <laughs> yes, that, that's the that's, only that's, word you should say is lawyer right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so that that's the idea. And um, you know, he really goes into the fact that, you know, the Miranda rights kind of here in the U S kind of have it, have it baked in, right? Um, whatever you say, Canon will be used against you. So what he really dives into the fact that that's really what that means. None of, none of what you say, Canon will be used to help you. What you say, Canon will be used against you. Right? So yeah, you're not, you're not helping to build a case by, by telling anybody anything. So just keep your trap shut and let your lawyer tell you what to say. <laughs> that's that's the whole. Seriously, it, it is a fascinating watch. You really should watch this video. Phil's got a um, got a got a good handle on this. Uh, you know, I would imagine though there is some crossover between the U.S. and Australia as far as some laws go, but the obscure ones, no. Like uh, there there is one here in Texas where you have to have like a uh, an old old style lamp on the front of your car. That that's still on the books. <laughs> so.
0: Every male over the age of 16 is required to own a shotgun.
1: Right. <laughs> exactly, right. So no one's going to pull you over for this, but, you know, the fact that they're still on the books, they can still be used against you if, uh, if, or so, if someone's crazy enough to try and prosecute you for something like that. But, yeah, a good watch. Good watch. The whole video is a good watch. Anyway, next up, uh, Stan Reichardt. Uh, last, last call for someone to read this one. Fine, I'll read it because I had to fix it. <laughs> So, on the live stream page, you show next live stream with a single date that all too often doesn't get manually updated. Yep, I'm hanging my head just a little bit uh, because, yeah, I forget to update that sometimes. Now, anyway, uh, he suggests that the next three anticipated dates be listed. Plus, it allows you to accurately show when you plan to skip a session. I do that on the four website homepages that I maintain for our volunteer groups. My reasoning is that when an expired date appears, visitors have to figure out when they're in their head, when the next live stream will occur, then they would have to plan on their return. Plus, if it's a long time until the next session, they may think that there may not be a next session. Returning visitors uh, won't stick around if you don't start precisely on time. You often only get one chance for them to, and someone deleted the show notes. Wait, wait, wait. There we go. Return. Sweet. So, um, that is, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I I did fix it. Uh, for this particular episode, I did it right about the time that we got that email, which is about a week ago. Um, and yeah, it, it's it's more of a discipline thing. I I just don't have a set time to go in there and actually do that, though. I have found a few different times to do that. Um, honestly, would would it if I could just have a calendar, an image of a calendar that just has all the dates highlighted? Because we don't skip like. We don't skip, we have, since we took over in 2018, October, uh, we did not skip a single episode, like zero episodes. Um, right. I I don't, there, we have not skipped a a single every other Sunday since, uh, since we started (laughs) messing with Josh down there. But, um, so yeah, I think it's more of a discipline thing. I just need to find me a time to actually sit down and, and, and change that. Um, but uh, Yeah. Yeah, it's just every other Sunday. and Yeah, I need a calendar. I just need one calendar that has all the dates circled, and I'll just put that out there for the whole year. And then if the date's wrong, at the very least, the calendar's right, uh, and then we can we can go from there. But I think I'm, da- uh, I'm going to remove the written reference and let it only be the YouTube video that has a timestamp on it um, because I can do that fairly easily. So... Yeah, but it all requires again discipline to sit down and do it. So thank you, Stan, for the uh, uh, for the heads up. I did go fix it and the advice on how to move forward. So um, yeah, I will. I will do something. Uh, thank you very much.
3: I think we've got pistols at dawn about who reads them. No, no, it's Josh's turn. He hasn't got to read one yet, and this is the last one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're very kind. Mm-hmm. To you. I know. I know. <laughs>
1: So, super polite. This is this is a response. Uh, Brad uh, Brad Alexander has written a response to Eric about his issue regarding, yeah, regarding the he wants to do uh, remote backups but have them encrypted and he didn't want to do full disk encryption because when you boot up that machine, it requires the key to actually finish booting the system and you can't do that remotely. Well, that's where Brad comes in. And so there were a couple of the things that we suggested, basically encrypting it before you put it over there so that you don't have to do full disk encryption. But Brad's got the answer to the initial query, which was, well, how do you do full disk encryption in boot remotely? So uh, Brad writes, I heard Eric woes about Eric's woes about remotely unlocking an encrypted machine on boot. This is what I've been using for years on various servers. So uh, the email has a lot of detail in it, and if you're curious about uh, some of the uh, some of the more intricate parts of it, please email us, and we'll uh, we'll give you the relevant bits. Um, but basically, there's a script uh, called dot unlock underscore hostname that basically comes up uh, to the Lux passphrase phrase, uh, and then he can remote in and unlock that machine. So. Uh, the way that he set it up was, was, though. so the Lux encrypted root partition, right? He writes, if you're thinking on sending a new server to a remote data center or co-location, you have rented one or more servers in the cloud, probably you have thought that you would like to encrypt your server's hard disk. The problem is that if you encrypt a whole disk, you will need some kind of KVM to type in the password. But you don't. Now, in the cloud, you can actually get the, KV, uh, the KVM thing. So like if you have um, you know, a VM somewhere and you can watch the boot, this is not a problem. You can actually do the uh, the encryption thing. But uh, in Eric's case, that wasn't the case. So he, he writes, thanks to this nifty trick, you can enter the password remotely during the boot process. The trick involves embedding a small SSH server, DropBear, and uh, DropBear is fantastic. It doesn't have all the full features, but it is fantastic for doing something simple like this. And then and this,
0: is this is an awesome setup. I'm yep. just going to say that.
1: In the initRAMFS, that allows you to enter the password remotely from the root partition at boot. Time, so you can remote in and give the password uh, to the root partition that's uh, that the lux partition is asking for at boot time. So it's 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 a fantastic way to to handle this solution. Um, for those that are lucky enough to use Debian, he's got everything that you need to do to to make that actually work. So, and for those that are not lucky enough to use Debian, and and by the way, this is what I what I'm uh, offering to send anybody that is curious about this. <laughs> it's just going to be really difficult to describe what this actually looks like in, uh, in a radio or at a podcast. So anyway, so for those not on Debian, uh, but want more details on the procedure, uh, I'm pasting here the archive. So there is a crypt setup readme.remote file that you can go take a look at uh, that you'll find useful. So anyway, so for the for the remote unlocking to work, he goes into more detail about how to set up uh, the key in the initRAMFS configuration and point to uh, how to deal with it on DropBear. And then on the other end of that, how to extract the, uh, the key when you are trying to log in and, and pass the password to it. But I mean, this is just a fantastic write-up on how to fix Eric's exact problem. The way that he was describing that he wanted this backup solution to work. Yeah, Brad's got the answer to it. So while you could still do the uh, encrypt before you send, this is the way to do it exactly the way that Eric was thinking on how to handle it. So anyway, uh, thanks so much, Brad, for writing into this. And like I said, anybody that wants any more information on this or the uh, the commands that go along with this, please let me know. I'm happy to send that uh, along to you. But yeah, reading it. Yeah, there, there's no way I could go with ssh o uh, user known host files equals, and then the, uh, the location of the known host in her MFS file, you know, <laughs> and it just goes on and on and on and on. And that's just one command. So yeah, if you want to see that, let us know. Uh, it's a fantastic write up. And Brad, if you don't have this written out somewhere on the web or whatever, um, please do so. I would love to just link to this, um, from mincast.org, uh, and you know, everywhere else really, cause this is a really fantastic fix.
3: If we'd have read all that out, it would probably double the length of the show. <laughs> yep,
1: absolutely. But it's a great solution, so I'm, I'm, I'm happy to advertise for it. Well, we are running a little short today. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're right on time if we can wrap this up in about 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. All right. That's only because we started like 20 minutes late. It's true. Cough, it's, cough, but, Leo, but it's um, all your fault. Yeah, I'll take it. But, but really, um, yeah, I think this is, this is the ideal length for the show two hours. So anyway, but that'll do it for, for our feedback. Actually, you know what? Send us in feedback if two hours is right about the length of the, the show. So you get one hour halves, one hour 352, and one hour 352.5. Um, so let us know what you think. All right. Well, that'll do it for Vibrations from the Ether. I've got... Um, We've had a lot of conversations about Ansible over over the episodes, and I know specifically Owen Peary was looking for how to get started with Ansible. And while there's a million different solutions out there, a million different ways to get started and learn how to do it, Red Hat has some fantastic documentation on demystifying Ansible. What it does, how you use it, how you set it up—they point to a lot of the internal documentation that they have. They point to a lot of new documentation that they've written for this particular article, and it is just a great way to just learn as much as you possibly can about Ansible and get to actually implementing it. So um, check that out. It is fantastic, fantastic information. And then I've got—I uh, broke out the link. It's in the the Linux Mint uh, notes, the the release notes. But I felt like I needed to break it out because it's a really good read. And uh, I did ask for feedback if you want to hear a show on this, the uh, making the case for the user merge. Uh, so there's a link there. It's got a question and answer or FAQ, I guess, uh, style uh, write-up that you can learn a lot about why it is the way that it is um, and why you would even want to, to do it. Uh, you can take a look at that. And then if you do go over that or if you do have an opinion on that, uh, write in. Let us know, and we might, uh, we might do a whole show over user merge in the future. Anyway, so Josh, uh, I've got, I've got some information to interject, but please tell me about well, what is this? Uh, the uh, application is called a uh, Pig Z. It's okay.
2: uh, spelled pig with a Z at the end, but it's pronounced pig Z E E like that instead of pigs. That's not what it's supposed to be. Everyone oh, wait, says so that, and they actually.
1: What? So once you leave America, it's Pig Z. Big Z, right. yes <laughs> <laughs> all right okay just wanted to be sure uh, yeah so it's a
2: re-implementation of gzip um, but it takes advantage of multi-threaded processors uh, it's, it's literally the same exact commands as gzip it just uses the multi threaded processors to make things way faster it took my backup of my uh, sda hard drive to um from over an hour to under 30 minutes it actually took almost 26 minutes to do it which is i was like holy crap <laughs> i was really right, fast yeah. um it was let's see it's 120 no sorry it's a, a 256 gig drive um and i ended up having 108 gigabytes um on the image file after the compression uh so that was pretty fast for that much so uh, was, it was
1: it was the drive full or what was the original image size
2: uh, the original image was 256. That's the whole drive. That's everything. Oh, That's I what see. I was I, doing. Right, right. I see. It. But it's zero for the rest of it, right? I right I see. It, after the compression, it was 108 gigabytes. Wow. Um, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's pretty easy to install it. Um, it. Actually, it's a lot easier on every other distro. But uh, Ubuntu, you have to put in the uh, universe repository, PPA, and then just do sudo apt install pigz, and then it'll um, install on your system.
1: So we were having a conversation about what what is a good alternative to GZip that is multi-threaded. And I threw out the solution of Seven Zip. And what what was your response to that? Uh well my
2: response to that was that uh SevenZip, it says on the ArchWiki it is not recommended for backups. Um I'm I forget what it said. It says something about it
1: doesn't um transfer over the groups. It, yeah, it doesn't preserve file permissions or, uh, yeah, file ownership and file ownership permissions.
2: Ownership and permissions, you're right. So, you, if you re image the system, it's not gonna, all your stuff is not gonna be right. It's probably not even gonna boot, I would say.
1: Okay, so here, here's the deal. Here's why you don't wanna use 7zip for, um, for backing up your home folder because, right, it, it will break the permissions. It won't remember that Leo owned any of these files and it won't remember how, what, whoever did own it. Uh, actually owned it. So it'll probably just come out of the archive as like 664 or something like that on permissions. But you're not compressing individual files. You're compressing an image file. So the image file itself will preserve the file permissions and everything else. All 7-Zip is doing is crushing down that image file. So when you extract the image file and place the image file back into the uh you know back onto the drive or something like that your file permissions and and ownership will still be intact so th- when you do a backup of 7zip of say a directory then yeah you're running into the problem that the archwiki is pointing out in that it won't remember who's owning stuff but in your case since you're only backing up and compressing an image file just a single img file 7zip is still a um a usable solution in a case like that
2: well, I did try 7-Zip to do it and it, it says it's multi-threaded, but it didn't seem like it was using, I don't, I, I can't explain it. Like I, I looked up an H-top while it was doing it and it was definitely going slower than Pig Z. Um So, uh,
1: so I know 7-Zip can handle like a gajillion different styles of, mm-hmm. uh, of compression. So uh, I wonder if it was... Mm, well, did it look? Did it look like it was multi-threading? I think that was the issue. It looked like kinda... it did. It just it was only
2: using like maybe max twenty percent of the of the cp of the um threads. And I see. With Pigz, it was using eighty percent of all the threads when it was working. So I, I don't know. I might have done the command wrong with with Seven uh, Zip. Well, but, um, it
1: it seemed to me that there were about a good three or four options that you had to have in the command right. to really get it to run exactly the way that you want. So I think, right. you know what, um, how about, let me let me put this to you. So since the compression style doesn't necessarily matter because you're dealing with a, just a single image file, um, I need to do a backup, Rescuezilla style, on um, on a couple of my drives. So I wonder if we can both do the same thing. You've already got the image file. I'll make some image files. And then, what if we, over the next couple of weeks, try and just uh, benchmark Gzip and uh, 7zip, if not, and another one or two, if we can find them uh, that are multi threaded, and just kind of come back with uh, with what our experience was?
2: Okay, uh, that sounds good. Um, now, as far as how we do it, now, how I always do it is I run it through DD and then I pipe it through um, Pipe Viewer PV. And then I pipe it through whatever the compression software is so I can see what's going on with pipe viewer. Sure. Okay, good. I just didn't know how you wanted to do it, but that's yeah, no, how that, I that, do it.
1: That seems like it works. Uh, okay. What, uh, um, let me ask you this, send me the command that you're using. That way we can be as close together right. um, doing these benchmarks as we can. And then, yeah, we can have a more consistent response back to this. Uh, sounds good to me. Cool.
2: All right. Sweet. The other one I have here is a uh, midnight commander. Now, I love this application. I actually use it more than I use um, Nemo file manager on Cinnamon. Basically it's an NCURSES based file manager for the terminal and it's fully mouse aware. So even if you need to SSH into a server and you run this command, you can actually use your mouse on it if you want to on the um, terminal. And yeah, it's, it's really nice because you can actually change the permissions of files and um, ownership of files right in the uh, uh, command window in the um, file. I think it's under file um, on the top of the command line. And, uh, yeah, it, it's super nice to be able to manage your file system for um, for servers and stuff. And uh, to install it on Linux Mint, it's really easy. It's just sudo app install MC, which MC stands for Midnight Commander. Very cool.
1: I I'd, I I'd, I'd usually just use Nemo or something like that. Do you use this in um like? I guess it would really be pretty handy in uh, command line only type situations, though. Oh yeah, it's really commandy in that but,
2: or handy in that. But um, I uh, I even use it on on uh, Linux Mint because it a lot of times when I'm transferring files on Linux Mint, it doesn't give me the exact time or exactly the right amount of data that's going to be transferring, you know, how Mm. the window pops up. And on this one, it actually tells you, like, let's say you're doing a directory um, copy. It'll tell you each file inside the directory, how long that's taking. And then each one, it'll show you as it's transferring. And it'll show you the main progress of the whole directory.
1: Cool. So because it's in Curses, I I assume, do you have mouse support in there? Yes. Yep. You have full mouse
2: support. So you can
1: click Uh. on anything in there. And it's
2: got, um, I forget, they called it something specific, but it's got a dual um, interface where your one directory is on the left and the other directory is on the right. And you can just yeah. copy, uh, literally drag and drop the stuff over to the yep, directory. This is,
1: um, so I use a, a software on Windows because I've, I've dropped all of my Samba shares and uh, I haven't done the WSL2 thing to where I can do S F uh, SFTP uh, directly yet. So in the interim, I'm using WinSCP. And... Uh, that's, that's basically just a GUI version of Midnight Commander. You get, yeah, you get that double <laughs> pane kind of situation where you can drag and drop between the two machines or, uh, you know, two local directories if you want. And so, I mean, I already kind of use Midnight Commander and <laughs> in, in a way, I guess, and it it probably would behoove me to try it out in Linux. Well, yeah, thanks for this. It, it already made an impact. I appreciate that. I'm going to try it out.
2: Cool. Uh, now on to, uh, Joe, what do you got?
0: I, uh, added a quick... 15-minute-long YouTube video. Uh, this guy built a handheld gaming PC from uh, a newer laptop with an i7 processor. Um, it's an elegant solution. It looks it looks pretty good, but um, it's also. A simple solution i mean he didn't use a 3d printer he, he used tools that most of us have lying around he did use a soldering iron at a couple of points but um it, it's really something that i think anybody sh- could do and uh, yeah he's running windows on it but um you could easily install linux on there and still be doing the same thing definitely something that you should check out because like i said It's simple enough that I think anybody could do it and definitely something that I would like to try in the future, even though I probably won't get to. So yeah, check out this guy's video. Really well done. Um, Tony, what do you got?
3: Actually, I've got another YouTube video. (laughs) Uh, I I noticed this popped up in my feed. I follow Explaining Computers uh, on YouTube, and uh, the latest video they've got out is Linux for an old laptop, and it talks about uh, putting Linux on the EPC-901, so it's really old. (laughs) Not watched it yet because I only noticed it as we were about to start recording the show, but I've put a link to the... uh, YouTube video in the show notes. Go and check it out. Uh, it looks quite interesting. I'll be checking it out. Uh, I literally later. just watched this this, mo- this morning.
2: <laughs> it came up <laughs> in my feed too, and I was watching it as I was driving. Well, not watching it,
1: but listening to it. <laughs> yep. I used to sell those old EPCs, so I think I might give it a go too. Well, last last point before we uh, before we finish up, uh, I did install Midnight Commander, and yeah, it it this is. This is um, pretty much the same interface that you would get, uh, albeit in the command line, uh, as you would in WinSCP. So, um, yeah, I like this. This is this yeah, really be, nice. Yeah, this is, a, I could use this in WSL on Windows too. Yeah, yep. Huh, huh, okay, yeah, okay, thank you for this. Anyway, uh, so the last little bit is uh, Moss missed the show to attend a music event at which he performed... Uh, email him for more information, mossatmincast.org. Uh, our next show will be Sunday, January 24th at 2 p.m. Central U.S. time. Get the show time converted to your time zone at the link in the show notes or at the website. That'll do it for the show. But Joe, where can we get more of you? Well, you can
0: catch me on a couple of my other podcasts. I'm on the Linux Link Tech Show, which you can find at www.tllts.org. Uh, you can catch me on the Linux Lugcast, www.linuxlugcast.com. You can find me on MeWe, or you can email me directly, jb at mintcast.org.
1: And Bo's not here this go around, but you can get him at ecnradio.com, undercastnetwork.com, or find him on YouTube at the Undercast Collective. Moss as well, but you can get him at its ItsMoss, miwi blogs on PeacefulHippo, LinuxQuestions.org, music on Bandcamp, various YouTube channels, moss at, uh, at Zyvala at hosttux.social on Mastodon. Ooh, that's a mouthful. Uh, just for offers digest at me, gmail.com. Sponsors, and he's got three sponsors. Yay,
3: they're climbing up. Very nice. And Tony. I'm uh, on HPR. I'm host ID 338. I've got my occasional blog, tony usblogspotcom I'm on Twitter, tonyh1212. Uh, you can get me at thmintcast.org at and distrohoppersdigest at gmail.com. Nice.
1: The other Tony, Watts, you can get him at twmintcast.org at or find him. Search him up, Echoes of Savages. Josh, what about you?
2: You can find me, uh, email me at joshontech at protonmail.com or at joshontech on Twitter and most other social sites.
1: Nice. And for me, leochavez.org and at leo chavez on Twitter. Um, you can get me leo at mintcast.org, linuxuserspace.show, or Full Circle Weekly News. Before we leave, we want to make sure to acknowledge some of the people who make Mintcast possible. Owen Peary for our audio editing. Josh Lowe for his work on the website. Hobstar for the logo and Londoner for keeping us all on time. ByteMark Hosting for hosting Mintcast.org and our Mumble server. Archive.org for hosting our audio files. HPR for our backup Mumble room. And of course, Linux Mint development team for the 20.1 version that we loved talking about this past fortnight. Thanks, Clay. Thanks, Clem. Thanks,
3: Thanks,
1: and code.
0: This has been another episode of the MintCast podcast. The show notes for this episode are at mintcast.org. You can send us email at mintcast at mintcast.org. You can find more information about Linux Mint at www.linuxmint.com. You can follow both MintCast and Linux Mint on Twitter at MintCast and at Linux underscore Mint. Thanks to Mark Blasco at podcast for our theme music, and thanks for listening to this episode of the News I mean,
1: separate, separate show style no, no 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 is it just
0: within? Because I, I can I can do that. Well no that that that's that's okay for some emails. But we get a lot of emails that are extremely technical and or long or both. And like the one Brad just said, and I don't think that would read out very well considering all the symbols in there.
1: Well, you know, what, what we could do in a case like that is, um, you know, just give the robot a replacement of that code and just say, you know, there's code here, but moving on. You know, that way you can kind of skip that stuff, but you it still get all like the, like all there'd the things.
0: sounds like be quite a bit of setup there. It might be. If... For each time.